0: So, with people with ADHD, just going through life and daily functioning is like running in the sand. They can do it, but it's absolutely exhausting.
1: Happiness, success, freedom, energy, fun, balance, strength, peace. It all stems from our physical and emotional well being. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion with experts to show you the way. This is Be Well. podcast from Crossover Health. Not sick is not enough. Being well is a movement to get the most we want out of life. In each of our episodes, we pick a health or lifestyle topic, bring in one of our doctors from the front lines, and have a real conversation. Be well, do good, enjoy life. What's up everyone, this is Dan Lord, Program Director for Crossover Health. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion. Just a reminder, the following presentation is for informational purposes only. It is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Today, our special guest is Dr. LaTanya Carter. She enjoys partnering with her clients on their healing journey. She especially enjoys getting to know her clients, and tailoring a treatment for them that is helpful in moving them forward. It gives her great pleasure to see her clients progress in treatment and take ownership of their mental health. Specializing in anxiety, depression, ADHD, and life transitions, Latanya utilizes empirically validated treatment approaches that give clients the tools they need to overcome mental health challenges even after treatment has ended. It is important to her that clients feel empowered on their health. Healing journey. She's a licensed psychologist and she's from Detroit, an avid college football fan. Uh, She and I argue about Michigan and Wisconsin football. She also enjoys baking, writing, and spending time with family and friends. She got her BA in psychology and BA in African American and African Studies at University of Michigan and got her PhD in clinical psychology from Michigan State. Latanya, welcome to the show. Thanks so much
0: for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Um, I'd love for you to start off with just maybe a little bit of information about your practice at Crossover.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I am at Crossover in Detroit, and I am a therapist, so most of my day is spent doing therapy with clients who come in with a a number of different issues and presenting problems. Um, Some have anxiety, depression, uh, trauma, and a lot of ADHD.
1: Right. That's our topic for today, right? We wanted to really deep dive on ADD and ADHD and the difference between the two and and kind of your practice. So let's get into it. Can you kind of define the common symptoms and the impairment um, around ADHD?
0: Yeah. So ADHD, which uh, we formally called it ADD. So that's what a lot of people kind of know it as. We added the H to represent hyperactivity. Because we found through research that a number of people, children in particular, didn't just have inattention; they also had hyperactivity symptoms. And so, um, we decided to change the the title to Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which is ADHD now. Um, it's what it's what we call a neurodevelopmental disorder. So that means that there's genetic factors, there's biological factors, there's environmental factors. That all contribute to the brain not developing in a typical way. um, And that can cause a certain number of impairments and symptoms that people struggle with. So some of the common symptoms that we might see are difficulty paying attention for a, a sustained amount of time, being easily distracted, forgetful, losing things, disorganized. For those who do have the hyperactivity symptoms, they might feel restless. They feel like they have to constantly move all the time. Um, They might talk excessively or interrupt others. Um, So these symptoms really kind of culminate into a disorder that's very uh, disruptive to people's daily functioning in both children and in adults.
1: Right, right. Thank you. One of the questions I have, and, and maybe one of the things that I see, a lot of people think they have this. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, oh, that's my ADHD or my ADD. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be actually harmful sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you maybe separate like what is the what is a clinical presentation of this versus what the lay people kind of say they have ADHD? Right. Like maybe separate that for us.
0: Yeah, there are a number of people. I think we we live in a society where busyness is like almost like a badge of honor, you know. And so, yes, when we are busy, we are going to have difficulty paying attention. We are going to be easily distracted. We are going to forget things. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of common implications of things, you know, when we're, we're busy or we're overwhelmed with things. But when it really comes to ADHD, we're looking for how does this impair your daily function? How does this impair your life? And there's pretty significant impairments. I mean, people, mm-hmm. um, you know, children with ADHD, they're getting in trouble at school, Um, they're falling behind. Some of them are failing their classes. Adults with ADHD sometimes lose their job or are written up because they're not performing well. There's car accidents that we we see because people with ADHD can be distracted on the road and so they get into more motor vehicle accidents. There's a ripple effect in the family where Mm. um, marriages are um, really compromised sometimes because the partner feels like they have to Compensate for the weaknesses of the partner who has ADHD, so there's marital conflict that comes mm-hmm. into play. ADHD is—it's more than just kind of, you know, having a rough day and you know not yeah. remembering how to, you know, to do certain things. I mean, it really does have a strong impairment on people's lives. That's really quite serious.
1: Thanks for clearing that up. I think it's really important for everyone to understand. So, you know, you talk about there can be patterns that start in childhood. Mm-hmm. is it usually something that starts early or is it something that can develop throughout your life? How does this usually happen?
0: The way that we diagnose it, it we have to see patterns of symptoms before age 12. Okay. Um, so anytime before the age of 12, we want to see that there are, um, you know, significant patterns of a child not being able to function the way that we expect. So they're, you know, forgetting to bring um things that they need to school or bring them home from school maybe they're they're not able to sit still in the classroom they're really failing their classes because they're not paying attention or they're having trouble paying attention and in, into the lessons in school so you know we we really want to see a pattern and because it's classified as a neurodevelopmental disorder, that means that the brain isn't developing the way that we would expect it to. And so there is a distinct difference that we see with children and their brain functioning, particularly their executive functioning, versus children who don't have ADHD.
1: So you were you were talking about functioning and development. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's dive a little bit deeper in, into what's actually hap- happening from uh, anatomy and, and psychological point of view?
0: Yeah. So with ADHD, um, it's a disorder that affects the frontal lobe of the brain, specifically uh, executive functioning. So uh, you can think of executive functioning as um, the control center of your brain. This is where everything mm-hmm. happens. Um, with executive functioning, where Uh, controlling our impulses, we're making decisions, we're setting goals, we're planning, we're inhibiting responses, regulating emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything happens in the frontal lobe. And so when this area of the brain doesn't develop properly, that's when we have these symptoms of not being able to pay attention or being easily distracted, you know, not being able to control our impulses, sit still and you know, sit through a four-hour meeting or whatever we need to do. Sure. Um, Where we struggle with those things because the brain hasn't developed in a typical way.
1: So, is this passed down genetically? Do you think it's it's uh, diagnosed at the right level? What mm-hmm. is what is the story there?
0: What we see in childhood, we're seeing that. There's about 9.4% of the population for children under the age of 17 uh, that are being diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, This is the diagnostic rate has been on the rise for the last 20 years. It kind of hit a peak maybe about 10 years ago. It hit a peak. There's a slight, slight decrease that's been happening over the last decade in terms of diagnosing kids, um, but it's still very, very high. What we're seeing more often now is the rate of adults who are being diagnosed is actually increasing quite rapidly. I think three to four times faster than children are being diagnosed, adults are now being diagnosed. The rate of diagnosis uh, or the prevalence rate right now, it's really varies among adults depending on the specific research that you look at. But right now it's between one and 4% of adults are are Mm -hmm. being diagnosed with ADHD. But it, it's significant because there is that genetic component sure. um, that we see where one of the reasons that adults are being diagnosed more often now is because children have been diagnosed and parents are learning that there's a genetic component um, that goes into the um, inheriting ADHD vulnerabilities. And so parents are now wanting to see if they also have ADHD and so we're starting to kind of get more and more parents coming in saying, hey, you know, I, I kind of have these symptoms, too. I'm wondering if I have it.
1: So why do you think there's this increase in prevalence? Is it that providers are, are looking for it more and, and and it's on their radar? Or are there other things in the environment that are causing the increase?
0: I definitely think that more awareness is part of it Uh, providers are more aware they're looking at the symptoms more clearly i think also um, the general public is more aware of adhd and anytime the public is aware of something you know thanks to dr google uh you know know, people come in and say hey i think i have this Uh, and some people are right you know some people are are right that they do have these symptoms so I definitely think the awareness is a key factor in that, and, and people want to get tested. Also, just in general, we're seeing the mental health field is, is booming right now. I mean, people are seeking out services for yeah. all kinds of things. And what we see most often with adults actually is that they are more likely to come in for a a different diagnosis. So they're coming in because they're having anxiety or they're having, um, you know, they're experiencing depression. And during the course of treatment, we kind of sit back and we say, there's something else going on here. And we learn that they actually have underlying ADHD symptoms as well. So in about 30% of cases, ADHD overlaps with anxiety. So, you know, you have people who are coming in with anxiety symptoms that are actually masking, you know, those ADHD symptoms. And we we discover that during the course of treatment.
1: Got it. That's very interesting. Okay, so the general public does talk about ADHD in a certain way as, you know, kind of like an offhand thing that Mm -hmm. everybody tends to experience. But Mm -hmm. this is much more serious than what some people make it out to be. So maybe maybe that that would be a good place um, if you could talk about you know your experiences with your patients.
0: Yeah, the patients that I've worked with, I, and I, I've seen quite a few people with ADHD, ironically because I work a lot with anxiety patients and then I right. discover that they have ADHD. but a lot of them um, experience ADHD as quite debilitating um, and and not just in terms of the consequences of you know forgetting your keys you know, every morning and therefore being late for work. But there's negative thoughts that people with ADHD often develop about their own abilities, their own uh, capabilities. I've worked with patients who think of themselves as bad mothers, because they, they can't quite pick their child up on time. And so they really beat themselves up because of that. Or um, they think of themselves as really poor employees because they're not able to do their job effectively. And so it, it really is quite heartbreaking to work with patients like this, because they, they beat themselves up quite a bit. And when you think about it, because ADHD, again, it starts in childhood, These people have spent a whole lifetime, you know, 20, 30, 40 years feeling like they are not Mm. performing up to the standards that, you know, their classmates are, their peers are. Um, And so they're constantly comparing themselves to other people and feeling as if they are letting themselves down, they're letting other people down, and they're they're just not good enough. And so a, a, a huge component of working with people with ADHD is helping them to Understand what their strengths are and really operating in those strengths, and combating a lot of those negative thoughts that they have about themselves.
1: Let's let's shift into maybe what types of solutions that you um, you know you work with your patients and you work in an interdisciplinary clinic.
0: Mm-hmm. What are
1: some of the things that our teams are able to work on with patients? What would you What would you start?
0: Well, the first thing that I like to explain to clients is a lot of clients think that because ADHD is a quote unquote brain disorder, that it can't change, right? That they think that this is how their brain is, this is how their brain operates. And so, you know, I'm not going to be able to do much to change it. And that's just not true. There's a, a... process known as neuroplasticity, which basically means that the brain is malleable. We can actually change the structure of our brain and how it functions. The way that the brain works is there's neurons, which are cells, that communicate with each other through neurotransmitters, which are chemicals that they commun- they use to uh, communicate. So some people are aware of dopamine. They've heard of that, or they've heard of serotonin. Those are neurotransmitters. And so the, the amount of neurotransmitters that are released between the neurons kind of dictates what happens. And so behaviors, um, the act of, let's say, writing your name, for example, that's a pathway in your brain that was developed way, you know, when you were three, four years old, learning how to write, you learned how to write your name. That was a pathway that was developed. And the more that you learned how to write your name, the more that you practice it, the stronger that pathway became in your brain. And so now you write it, you don't even think about writing, you just write your name. But whenever we learn something new, we have to develop a new pathway. And so part of treatment in really many different uh, mental health disorders, but particularly ADHD, because of its involvement with uh, executive functioning, we have to learn new pathways, we have to learn to, to train the brain of how to uh, how do we develop self-control so that you know, we're not just mm. impulsively jumping out of our seats or interrupting others when they talk. You know, through behavioral strategies, we can develop new strategies or new pathways in our brain so that we can change a lot of what's happening. So ADHD is not just um, something that we have to live with. Um, it's also not something that we, we have to take medication for. Um, many people think that, you know, that's the only way to treat it. And medication can be helpful. I'm definitely not anti-medication, but not everybody needs medication. And so part of, um, you know, a good treatment plan is really trying to figure out your level of impairment and how much, um, how severe your symptoms are so that we can develop a treatment plan that works best for you um, where you are at the time. So, something like psychological testing can be really helpful for that. It's it's not brain scans or anything like that. It's just activities and questionnaires, but the psychologist is able to learn so much about how your brain functions mm. through those interactions and they can say, "Okay, yeah, it does look like you have ADHD and I think that you're per- primarily inattentive and, you know, these are some recommendations that I have for you based on, you know, what I'm seeing." Mm-hmm. Uh, so psychological testing can really be a great way to kind of get a, a bird's eye view about how your ADHD is presenting um, and how to go about fixing that.
1: There are things people can do to work on this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another important point that you make is it's not an identity. right? Just mm-hmm. because you've been diagnosed right. it doesn't mean going forward you have to live with this and you have ADHD now. This is a different lens to look at, and I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: How can people you know, start learning more or, or, or do some of their own kind of assessment to understand where, what recommendations do you have for people at that point?
0: Well, if you have access to Crossover's Be Well page, there's a self-assessment there for ADHD. Uh, it's not a diagnostic tool; it's not intended for that. But it asks a lot of the criteria for ADHD and allows you to assess your symptoms. And then you can take those results to a mental health provider or your primary care provider, and and talk to a professional about them. Um, the professional can help you um, to understand the severity of the symptoms and the best treatment approach for some people with ADHD. Therapy is, is what they need. So we can use cognitive behavioral therapy, which looks at how you think about yourself. So some of those negative thoughts that I mentioned before, we can reframe those. We can fix those so that you don't think so negatively about yourself. Um, but we can also incorporate behavioral strategies so that you can develop those new pathways that we talked about. Many people have heard of mindfulness. Mindfulness mm-hmm. is another great activity that um, we would work on in therapy. That helps with ADHD. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, mindfulness is the practice of being in the here and now. And so people with ADHD struggle with that. (laughs) They are often thinking about all kinds of different things and struggling with just being in the present. And so mindfulness is that practice of kind of grounding people and getting them to stay in the present. And it is another way that actually can create new pathways in the brain because you're practicing controlling your thoughts, controlling your impulses, and focusing in on one particular thing at that moment in time. Also, what's important with ADHD treatment is assessing for any secondary treatments or secondary diagnosis, excuse me such as anxiety or depression, Mm -hmm. Um, people with ADHD, adults with ADHD often use substances as a way of medicating as well. So we look for substance abuse issues. And so we need to treat those as well so that, you know, you kind of reach that total healing that you really want to see. But also those, those symptoms in anxiety or depression can also exacerbate some of the ADHD symptoms and make them worse. And so sometimes we have to, you know, kind of attack both of them at the same time. Also with medication, some of the medications for ADHD are stimulant medications, which mm-hmm. which can sometimes make anxiety worse. And so we want to make sure that, you know, if there is some underlying anxiety or depression that, you know, before we prescribe anything, we, we make sure that those are under control.
1: Got it. So, so speaking to medication really quickly. And I I just so appreciate that there's all these other strategies that you can try and you can work on outside of medication. But when Mm -hmm. do you seek out medication and who do you talk to? And maybe what are some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks?
0: Yeah. If you're in a situation where you've maybe tried therapy and it's not working very well, um, you're not seeing progress, then your therapist might uh, suggest to you seeing a primary care doctor or a psychiatrist for medication and medication usually what the analogy that I like to give clients is you can imagine running ver- running in the sand versus running on pavement mm-hmm. so with people with ADHD just going through life and daily functioning is like running in the sand they can do it but mm-hmm. it's absolutely exhausting and it you they go you know half as far in you know the distance yeah. the Same amount of time, so it's really overwhelming because because their executive function is not as efficient as you know other people's. It's really draining for them to do kind of the everyday types of things. So medication kind of smooths the payment out. It doesn't mean that you don't have to run, (laughs) you know, that you don't have to do any work, but it does smooth the payment out for a lot of people and just gives them a nice smooth running surface so that when we are going through therapy and learning strategies, they can apply them more easily. They can remember to do things more readily so that everything t- tends to be a little bit more efficient.
1: Got it. Thank you. I, I love the analogy of the sand versus the paper. That's, <laughs>
0: that's fantastic.
1: So maybe can we point, some, point to some resources that members or listeners can check out to get more information?
0: Yeah. So our Be Well page is full of ADHD resources right now. I was happy to be involved with the team who put together some content for that. So definitely check it out. There's a self-assessment, but then there's also information about how you can train your executive functioning, how you can involve your spouse or family members in your treatment, or how you can support them if they have ADHD. Um, There's even some information there about medications and how medication is used to treat ADHD. So there's a ton of content there. There's also a couple books that I like to recommend. One is called ADHD, non-medication treatments and skills for children and adults. Um, And that is by Susan Burdick. And it's a great resource. It's full, 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 full of different activities and exercises that you can do to help yourself get more structured, get organized, get a nice routine going. Structure and organization are key for ADHD, just kind of getting things back on track. So that book has full, has plenty of resources in it. And also Russell Barkley, Dr. Russell Barkley, he's a psychologist. He's been in the field for ages. He's kind of the guru right now on ADHD. And he has a book called Taking Charge of ADHD. And that's for adults specifically. So I definitely would encourage uh, listeners to check that book out as well.
1: Very cool. Thank you. We will definitely link both of those resources to the show notes. So listeners, um, it'll be right there for you. You know, Latanya, we want to get to know you a little bit better, if that's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, can,
1: we, can we put you on the hot seat and, and ask some rapid fire questions? Sure. All right, here we go. What's your favorite podcast at the moment?
0: would have to be therapy for black girls. Really love their content right now.
1: Very cool. Love it. Yeah. Okay, so what is your guilty pleasure?
0: <laughs> uh this time of year uh apple cider donuts for sure.
1: Oh <laughs> yes. Okay. I love that a, that a a a, cider mill. Is that a Michigan thing?
0: It's definitely a Michigan thing. Yes. All right. It's on my, it's on my my
1: bucket list next time I'm (laughs) I'm around. Definitely. So what's the one thing you do every day to stay healthy?
0: Uh, I got to laugh. I have to laugh. The world is just too heavy if I don't. So. Yep. Yep.
1: (laughs) Right on. Right on. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure lots of people benefited from the information you presented today and also all the work that you did on BUL. So thank you for that. Uh, Appreciate your time.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Anyone 18 or over in the United States can be a crossover health member at crossover. You stay connected to a care team that works together and gets to know you over time, a doctor, a nurse, a mental health expert, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a health coach, a fitness coach, and a care navigator go to crossoverhealth.com to join the healthcare revolution. If you like our podcast, please follow or subscribe and leave a review. If you have a topic you want us to explore, let us know on Facebook or Instagram at crossover Until next time, be well.